live from the Orpheum Theater. This is Austin Danger Podcast, your number one source for all Austin Powers and Austin Powers-related news, film analysis, and friendship, as well as a celebration of one of the great film trilogies of all time and the many, many people who brought it to us. As always, we are Kev and Mackenzie. Mackenzie, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Excited to talk about The Shape of Water today. Tell me about it. You know, last week I said the wheel (laughs) gave us, you know, God gave the world the gift of the cleansing flood. Uh, But this week, I feel as though a rainbow has appeared upon us Mm -hmm. as a reminder of God's promise to uh, never do this to us again. We're going to get stinkers. We still have, what, chairman of the board on there? You know, it's going to happen. Hey, look, the love guru is on the wheel. Cat in the hat is on the wheel. Anything is possible. It's we we are just we are tiptoeing our way through a minefield. (laughs) And that is how we run our podcast. And that's why I love it. But first, Mackenzie, is there anything you watched this week? I literally was looking. I did not really watch anything <laughs> at all. I don't know what happened. I went a whole week without watching any movies. I think Rachel and I have gotten kind of sucked into playing Mass Effect again. And uh, I was playing a lot of Batman again. I've just been video gaming a lot this week and wrapping up a job because uh, I'm starting a new job soon. So it's, you know, just didn't watch a lot of movies. I may have mentioned it last week. I... Literally, the only thing I watched after Tenet was the Charlie's Angels series, because <laughs> I put them on whenever I need anything. I need it. joy, happiness, uh, love, light, perfection in my life. I put on McGee's Charlie's Angels, uh, and uh, you know those are obviously impending on the wheel. A lot of um, ravenous ADP fans want us to cover those films, and so they will. They will come eventually. But uh, that's literally all I watched. Uh, what have you watched this week? I watched I watched a whole bunch of stuff this week. I watched uh Yeah. We're getting ready here for Top Gun Maverick, which I'm seeing Friday afternoon. I will have seen it by the time you hear this. So go to my letterboxed if you're that curious. Um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the but world must know. I watched Days of Thunder, which I had never seen, which is an early Tom. I'm pretty sure he met Nicole on the set of this film, which is crazy. Wow. And the best way to describe it is Top Gun in a stock car. Tom Cruise plays this kind of new racer on the block looking to prove himself to literally Robert Duvall. And uh, it's Top Gun in a stock car. How else can I describe it? If that sounds appealing to you, uh, there there are some parts of me that are like, is this even better than Top Gun? (gasps) I've never seen Top Gun. Which is, (laughs) well, look. I'll keep it brief because Tom Cruise is the star of Top Gun and Days of Thunder. Tom Cruise is the star of Austin Pussy, so we'll get there at some point. So It'll happen. It'll happen. I mean, there's this movie that uh, Rachel, my fiance, is obsessed with called Far and Away. Ron Howard, <laughs> also Tom and Nicole. Yes. Uh, I hate this movie so much, uh, so I hope we get it one day. <laughs> I always mix it up with uh, Fly Away Home, which is the little girl with the ducks or whatever. She's not oh a little God. girl. She's like a 15. I think I blocked out so much of Far and Away. I think the only thing I remember, I would like to give it a the old college try. I'd like to get, I would like to try it again. I just remember it felt like three movies in one movie in a way that was not good. <laughs> um, but, but me and Rachel do frequently quote Tom Cruise with his weird Irish accent going, I've no wish to fight you. Uh, and then he punches a horse in that film. Everybody, spoiler alert. Tom Cruise says, I've no wish to fight you to a horse and then punches said horse. 
I will talk about it a little later on the show, but we are announcing a journey we'll be going on over the next few mm. weeks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I started that journey tonight with Boz Lerman's Strictly Ballroom. Yeah. Now, I, I expected a beautiful, lyrical love story, really great footage of the dancing, you know. But what I ended up with was, like, there's Christopher Guest-style interviews played for comedy in this movie. There's, like, a documentary style to the first half that kind of tapers off. Really? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's really silly and weird in all the great ways that, you know, once he gets to Moulin Rouge, he becomes very serious with mixed mm. results, which we could talk about down the road. But it's just so silly and so subversive. And Romeo and Juliet is as well. You could see that through line. I love that. Yeah. This is an all timer and I'm really excited for you to see it. I really, really want to. It's 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 like very stupid that I have not seen this movie already. <laughs> no, I, I feel the same way. And I feel the same way about even even Australia, which is the last one I have to see. Mm-hmm, same. Which, let me tell you, I remember when that movie came out, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I do want to touch on a movie that is making waves in our communities. Okay. It's Disney Plus original that just dropped last oh, yeah. week chippendale rescue rangers have you heard about this have you seen this i have heard about it i have not watched the film i don't i didn't watch chippendale growing up i'm sure i'll check it out i just don't know if i have like a nostalgia factor for it at all it's one of those things for me that i know a lot about but i've actually never seen i i always i'm always like oh man i'm totally gonna go through especially because disney plus is around now mm-hmm. i'm definitely gonna go through the disney afternoon I'm totally going to watch all those cartoons, those like 30 hours at a time of children's cartoons from the late 80s. I'm totally going to do it. And then obviously <laughs> never comes. But no, it's it's uh, a lot of people have said it's like Space Jam 2 because it's got a lot of cultural references, but it's more like Sonic mm-hmm. the Hedgehog and that it's like funny and engaging and kind of works. That's fun. I was sitting there like, oh, that works. Like, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I I'd probably check it out. It's cute. It's, it's cute. a lot of fun. There is one. There is one running gag that I was shocked was allowed. I'll say that. There's really? A okay. There's a character that I think Tim Robinson voices. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then the last thing I want to talk about is I want to recommend to everybody in the world who has ever lived to check out the Criterion Channel's showcase of. Juzo Itami's films. Oh. Uh, particularly Tampopo, which is oh. a, you know, all of his films are satirical. And this one is a satire of food and how we eat food and how we prepare it and kind of the sacred rituals around it. That's so it fun. Is so clever and so funny and so well told. And once you vibe with kind of what he's going for in terms of the, the overarching story and then the vignettes that connect or don't connect. It's really, really fun. Well, hey, if we're done talking about what we watched, then we can catch up on the news. Whoop did news. What does it all mean, Basil? Yeah, so once again, we are... You know, I thought we were truly done, but there continues to be Pentaveret press tour content <laughs> trickling out from the woodwork 
Yeah. This week's piece, an extremely lovely video from Vanity Fair, where it's got this cool like VHS aesthetic. I guess the series yes, it was is so like, fun. Celebrities put on a VCR of clips from their favorite projects or certain milestones in their career. Mike Myers was on it and uh, the stuff, it was Wayne's world. It was, was Austin one. It was Shrek Austin and it was Pentaver. And right? Goldmember snuck in there too. Cause he talked about uh, Beyonce and they talked about the mole scene, which I have to say watching it back. I just can't help it. It's the funniest <laughs> thing. It's just so stupid. And, and what's, what's the, the best thing about it. And the thing that's kind of missing in the Pentaver is that it was totally improvised and made up and they were just goofing around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just, that, that mole, 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 mole. And he's laughing at himself in the finished movie. It was really charming. It was, I thought it was really cute. Like it, they left in so many quiet moments of him just watching the performance. Mm. And I just thought that was really endearing of just like seeing him like relive those moments for himself. And it was just fun to hear him talk about like the things that were important to him around these pieces and like why Wayne's world is set where it's set and why they're like they are. And he specifically said, um, Vitevret felt like, I think like literally quote unquote, all the things I loved doing in Austin. Um, so I kind of thought that was really fun. Like him specifically saying that like the costumes and the characterizations are, um, were very akin to Austin for him as a performer. It was very cute. <laughs> Highly recommended everybody. He also, there was also an article that came out that I wanted to bring up because I just thought it was so silly. Someone asked him if he wanted to do more Shrek and he said, yes. Um, yes. Everybody, if there's ever a question in your mind, if someone would want to do something that would bring them a tremendous amount of money that they have said publicly that they like doing very much, it's going to be a yes every time. Yeah. That's millions of dollars. <laughs> Hey, I'd take, a, I'd take a Shrek movie every year. We'd have something to, lo- to look forward to on our podcast. That I'll would make Shrek. sense. I'll be Shrek. We haven't... <laughs> the road. What? <laughs> we need as many Shreks as we have avatars planned. You know what I mean? Oh, I need yeah. the, road to, the road to Shrek every year for the next five years. That's what I need. I mean, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that with, with the way journeys work here, every road is a road to something else, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, somehow, Austin News continues. But, again, bless it. And now, of course, folks, we're on the motherfucking road to Elvis, and it's time for our Elvis news segment. Thank news. Thank news very much. (laughs) So, huge day today. Yes. We're recording this on May 25th. The movie has... So, they put out the posters last week, and then just the other day, they dropped like a three and a half minute huge trailer. Yeah which showed us a, a ton of stuff. ton of music in that trailer, in that second trailer. That's right. A lot more of Tom Hanks and his crazy voice throughout the years also. You know? <laughs> um, and then the movie premiered. <laughs> so the reviews are in. The reviews are in. It is premiering at Cannes currently. Uh, the big, you know, the big one people are kind of talking about is David Elric from IndieWire put out a deeply negative review of Elvis that Kev and I are, uh, we do not give a shit about. But I will share it because I feel like it would be, um, you know, it would be too weird to only do all of the other positive reviews and not acknowledge the one negative one I'm saying. We're all friends here. Um, Let, let's hear what David also said about Dune and then copied and pasted into this Elvis review. 
both of which will be incorrect. Go ahead. No, I'm... But no, I love that. But I just do want to point out the quote that I know you and I both love that is perhaps the most visually anarchic film since the Wachowskis Speed Racer, which is an amazing fucking movie. <laughs> so I don't know what to say. Suck my butt. It's good. <laughs> I love the Wachowskis. But I do want to say that there's a lot of initial thoughts from critics um, all over Twitter. So I pulled a couple of quick ones. Raphael uh, Matamayor says, Elvis absolutely rules a movie all about excess from its runtime to its costuming and production design to the song numbers to Baz Luhrmann pulling an Ang Lee's Hulk and using comic book panels throughout the film to great what? effect. <laughs> Austin Butler is incredible. I will say the thing I'm seeing even if people do not like the film is that they do believe that Austin Butler is a superstar quote unquote. I saw somewhere. Uh, Ella Kemp said Elvis. That's a whole lot of movie. And I had a very good time with most of it really takes his wiggle seriously and literally craziest edit ever. But God, Austin Butler sells it. Basil Luhrmann, crazy, tragic, romantic as ever. Never change. Ann Thompson says, liking Elvis depends on how much you like musical Baz Luhrmann, who throws himself headlong at Elvis in three acts. Rocker, movie star, Vegas King. Austin Butler is a star. Tom Hanks as Svengali Golden Colonel Parker will be divisive. <laughs> Not a critic's pick, but nor was Bohemian Rhapsody. I hate that comparison. I have to be honest Yeah, with a lot of people are comparing it to Bohemian. And I'm that like, that movie sucks. That movie's like, like Elvis's like Walmart cousin the asylum would make would make bohemian rhapsody in reaction to elvis the editing of the trailer alone is like thousands of times better than anything bohemian rhapsody did uh but whatever uh variety put out a great uh review from owen gleiberman who said baz Luhrmann's elvis is a fizzy delirious impishly energized compulsively watchable two hour and 39 minute fever dream that converts the elvis saga we all carry around in our heads into a lavishly staged biopic as pop opera and the final thing is that it did debut on rotten tomatoes with a 90 percent fresh that's pretty good that is i think very good yeah do you hear that david (laughs) who's clicking (laughs) on you now (laughs) and now i'm and i'm really like i said just seeing a lot of people like it or hate it just all be in the agreement that austin butler kills it is what a lot of people are saying so i'm very very interested to see his performance yeah, you know, the the hype for me about Elvis is a bunch of different ways, right? Like Lerman, like so many modern auteurs, this is kind of a twilight moment. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make movies often, you know what no. I mean? Like it's exciting that he has a new movie out for me, just on the basis that it's him. And like to see someone who has such a definitive style come back with such an, like the story he was almost born to do (laughs) we have a potential star making moment with austin butler in a way that you know the studios have tried there's a there's another piece of elvis news the new york times had a really great austin butler profile that went up this morning that is just sensational you should check it out gq too a lot of great press for him i didn't read that yeah gq but uh brooks barnes had made the point that studios have spent the last 10 years trying to make a bunch of different people happen Disney tried Taylor Kitsch, didn't work. Uh, Miles Teller, we're about to find out how Paramount's big bet worked out on him in mm. Top Gun, you know, and, and the offer as well on Paramount Plus and, and a bunch of other different things. They're trying to make him happen. Uh, and plenty of other actors, right? Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. 
this could be a big like this could I be mean, a major moment for this guy and we're stuck with him on dune 2 anyway so we'll see how it goes and, and <laughs> as we're entering june this goes up on happy memorial day it's may 30th <laughs> yeah. and as we enter the month of elvis we have created a list on letterboxd and a journey that we will be going on called <laughs> say it Austin Danger Podcast presents Austin Butler Podcast presents The Road to Boz Lerman's Elvis. Or Appabapzerbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletbulletb
You gotta just give an overview, you know. But if we're talking an over, I mean, we're gonna get into it. We'll get into it. But first, I want to know what is your history, and we've talked about it a bit. But what is your history with Shape of Water, and maybe Guillermo del Toro as a as a director as well? I was a pretty big GDT fan. I saw Hellboy in the theater as a young man, not knowing anything about anything with that, for sure. I had seen Pan's Labyrinth by that time, and I'd loved that, of course. And I had seen Pacific Rim and skipped Crimson Peak. Uh, That was a bad time for me to have seen movies, put it that way. And uh, The Shape of Water just hit at the right place at the right time. We went opening week, and uh, I believed in love again, and the bells rang in the church, and the children and the doves of the forest, and everybody held hands. You know, there is peace on earth. I love this movie. Absolutely. And let me tell you how cathartic it was to see Entertainment Weekly the week after the Academy Awards, not to spoil I Love Gold, but uh, Guillermo del Toro holding the two Academy Awards my god a moment a great moment how about you yeah i it is one of my greatest shames i need everyone to know this before you hop in my dms and start screaming at me i have Uh not seen another gdt movie outside of the shape of water which is a huge blind spot pan's labyrinth was a is, is continuously a huge blind spot for me i think i tried to approach it as a teen and got very scared by the the pale man just like the visual of him scared the shit out of me so i just did not watch that movie and yeah he's spooky uh and then yeah i don't know i i i know i would love them they're a big shame of mine i really need to sit and i might take that journey soon honestly because i have a couple days off work so maybe i'll take a gdt (laughs) journey um, but I saw The Shape of Water when it came out. I mentioned I saw it like three times in one week <laughs> with my movie pass. That was back before they like only let you see a movie once with your movie pass. It was like when it was fully unlimited and I just saw Remember it multiple that? times. Oh my God. God, what a time. What a time to be alive. Uh, and yeah, I, I saw it in a mostly empty theater and I just remember um, feeling so profoundly moved by it and so... Um, I was thinking about it a lot that maybe we'll get into more. I just, it resonated with me a lot on like a, on a, as a a queer person as well. And I think that we'll get into it, but the film definitely, um, I know this is sometimes a downside for people. I actually enjoy this, that, that sort of the people who maybe see themselves in the monster all come together to save him. Right. And, um, I think that really moved me because I was myself at that time in 2017 falling in love with the person I'm going to marry now. And like, it, it, it felt like it kind of, um, it made me very angry when people just sort of at the time and still does resort, just call it the fish fucking movie. (laughs) Um, because it's so much more than that. I think there's so much more going on. And if that's all you see in it, that makes me sad for you. Right. Uh, because of, I was talking to Rachel about it. Like it resonates with me on a queer level of that. Their love is misunderstood and um, hated by the people of its time. It, it felt very queer to me. And like, you know, queer people have been compared to bestiality <laughs> like before, you know what I mean? Like we are, we are definitely not immune and still aren't to a lot of the kind of, um, prejudice that is thrown at Eliza and the asset and I just found it to be really it just really resonated with me in a way that like I didn't I could not believe and I remember uh, that was when I was more of a casual movie viewer and um, 
So I, I wasn't like a movie person, but I watched the Oscars because I knew that movie was nominated. And I remember sitting by myself uh, with a little glass of wine and like I bawled when Guillermo won. Uh, again, not to um, spoil I Love Gold, but like it just was a movie that mattered so much to me that year. It was a movie I desperately needed that year. That's and right. It's it's insane that I have not revisited it, and uh, I it, it, I I think that this this new rewatch to move into our conversation more, I guess. Um, I didn't have quite the initial magic I think I felt sitting in the theater, but it still is a beautiful movie, and I didn't think it was gonna get me. And then I heard that poem at the end, and I just started bawling my eyes out because. Obviously, I don't want I want this to be a safe space. And I don't want to get into the news, but the news is heavy this week. And it was a movie that I was just like, fuck, I really need to cry right now. Crying right now. Um, and this movie is so beautiful. It makes me feel so much love. And um, I'm just so glad this movie exists. I'm sorry I'm like crying on this podcast now. It's just really, um, it makes me happy. And now I can laugh because I know we have a negative voicemail coming up and I'm crying about this movie. I don't even need to say anything. I think podcast <laughs> No, over. I'm so sorry. Oh no, my God. I mean, you um, pretty much covered it, right? This it's was just great. the time this movie came out was the second worst phase in my life. Now, mm. you want to talk about a bad phase. You want to talk about <laughs> fall 2019 to <laughs> April 2020 it was pretty terrible. Yeah. But, uh, that was a really bad time. And every time I went to the movies from like the fall of 2016 to April, 2020, it was like, come on, man, come on. I really need like, give me what I need. I really like, like a drug. It was really messed up actually, <laughs> but it was like, wow. Yeah. It gave me everything I needed. It was just like, Oh, I believe in love again and good things in the world. And you saw this community come together and unite against uh, a common and very obvious evil, uh, which is, as we all know, is uh, the fascistic fetishist. We'll get into him later. Oh, God. Crazy performance. Amazing um, performance. Amazing performance. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I saw, that, I saw this movie the one time because I was afraid that the magic would be uh, less. Hmm. But then... By just the way that the timing of the wheel worked out, uh, this ended up being perfectly timed. This was just like exactly where I needed it. Yeah. Like I remember distinctly that it and like Lady Bird were two movies that like were my were, were, were movies that immediately latched into my heart that year. And I had I had just moved away from my friends and my home and it was like this weird scary transition period and these movies were were like warm blankets that felt like they were representing me in ways i didn't even know like it's crazy to me that this this weird um fairy tale that is essentially guillermo del toro's beauty and the beast makes creature of the black lagoon but with a happy ending au his fanfic his creature from the black lagoon fanfic uh is this movie that like it just hit me right in my core in a way I, I never knew a movie could. And that, that was, it's crazy. And it was very wild to see it again and be like, wow, yeah, this did matter so much to me. Um, yeah, I'm glad this, this show gave me an excuse to come back to it, honestly. I love um, not to switch, not to totally switch gears. No, but one of the things I love about this film is how sex positive it is. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
it's funny and it's bluntness. Uh, and then there's you know, so much Sally Hawkins Bush in this movie. It's true. It's true. I forgot. <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm gonna blush. But uh, <laughs> I just you know, if you're, I'm also against the label of the fish fucking movie. But if you yes. come in going for like, <laughs> we're gonna see the fish fucking movie, um, then you get what you want because she that's does. What you get. Yes, she explains how it works. I guess <laughs> if that's what you want, I mean, you get it. And I thought that it was nice and refreshing. It reminded me of like, uh, not cert- certainly not a film you would see in America. Oh, in terms yeah, of its no. casual approach to showing the human body as if there's nothing to be ashamed of, uh, was fascinating. I love the score. Can we talk about the score? amazing score uh masterfully done perfect like you know carries you away in your theater chair mm-hmm. you know what it, it mm-hmm. reminds me while we're talking it reminded me of this old movie theater bumper at amc while i was uh coming up as they say where these kids are sitting down in much more comfortable amc seats than you had in the theater because those seats were from 30 years ago and they made you want to die but like they were sitting in the seat and they were elevated into a grassy field where they were in a fantasy world because movies are transportive. And it reminded me of that. Like you were floating away into the world of the romance. And it it also helped you understand like, okay, well this is a B movie and romance and we're mashing them together. It's, it sets the tone like it just beautifully, perfectly. It, the, the music just fits the tone of the fairy tale so much. Like it's, um, very interesting. I watched the rec- semi recently the um like original French Beauty and the Beast, and um there's a really great speaking of Criterion Channel and their curation. They have this series called Adventures in Movie Going, I believe, yes, where they bring yes. in people to discuss. And Guillermo del Toro did one, and he talked about this Beauty and the Beast, and is a big reason that inspired me to watch it. And he talked about the magic of that film being a huge inspiration for. I mean, obviously, this is sort of a Beauty and the Beast-esque story, um, but the magic of that movie, and that movie blew me away. Like, I couldn't believe that this weird French movie from, like, the 40s was so good. Um, and it, it, the, the scoring of that movie felt really indicative of this. Mm. And it it makes even the craziest moments. I wrote down specifically the flooding scene when she floods the bathroom so that they can they can have sex and be together in the water. <laughs> it's the most insane scene like when you think about it you're like this is absolutely crazy it's very sexual there's water pouring out of everywhere but the music makes it sound like it is the most magical thing you've ever seen like it's That's so right. wild how the music really supports the the action and hopefully helps you let go of the the cynicism of what's happening right like you could be I like so my brain wants to be like oh my god why would she do that her apartment's gonna be so messy and uh, but like the music gets me away from my bullshit brain and is like no just enjoy how how silly <laughs> this is like just enjoy it i love how also that's foreshadowed in her dream right mm-hmm. because what is she dreaming of she's dreaming that she lives in a cove underwater because she's uh spoilers a fish person <laughs> That's another thing is people call it bestiality, but it's like, look, she's also a fish person. So get the fuck out of here. It's true. I'll fight you. All. I loved the. I love the the world. Yes. I love that we have three modes where there's the research facility, which is right out of a B movie. 
there's the whimsical like oh we live right by a movie theater and it's a big old style like del toro's dream theater (laughs) and then we have the uh baltimore john waters lynchian nightmare home looked like dougie's house if you know you know (laughs) yes like does it like nightmare it's so simple it's interesting the things i noticed this time around is how simple the sets are and the production design is you know we really only have these few places like maybe the pie shop maybe the some outdoor shots but generally yeah we're we're touchstone we're attached to these three very distinct areas that are so simplistically built but so intricately built that they like they feel so lived in right production design is amazing but i wouldn't expect anything less from from guillermo del toro based on what i've seen of his uh other stuff it's Uh, true it just seems like that's that's the big oh yeah i watched nightmare alley i have seen that sorry hey there you go i just realized i have seen another gdt movie um and the production design of that was incredible i put my Mm -hmm. money on it for the oscars even though it lost um but uh yeah no it's god it's amazing it it looks yeah. gorgeous. I liked also, you know, it really did feel like a Lynchian or kind of Watersy like here's here's what they think is idyllic. Here's mm-hmm. what they think is terrible. Here's but the truth is that the like the truth is that there's beauty in otherness and yes. there's truth and actual life there. Whereas what appears to be the idyllic world, you know, like you see at the beginning of Blue Velvet or something, is rotten and awful and uh, just terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because sometimes the you bring a Blue Velvet. That tonally, that is such a great pairing. I feel like um, in terms of the romance and the horror, the right. like high highs we get to with that movie. Like I think of, I love that Laura Dern monologue. That's just gorgeous in the car. If you haven't seen that movie, please watch it. It's beautiful. But then Dennis Hopper's um, horrifyingly incredible performance as Frank Booth. You know, like that. That's a really great tonal pairing. Yeah, it's just really. It's. And I think I could see someone maybe saying that GDT's metaphors are a little too on the nose in this movie, but I still like them. I love that Michael Shannon. His character is literally rotting. He's literally rotting because he is such a disgusting human being. Uh, and maybe that's a great transition to get into this inc- fucking amazing cast. This perfect cast. I love everyone and all the roles they're in. How about, how about Michael Shannon while we're on him? Number one, just absolutely ideal casting. Really great performance. It's the worst fucking noise I've ever heard at the... Uh when there's an hour and 22 minutes left in the movie, just go look at that. Just amazing. He is so scary. And he holds the columns of the temple with his powerful arms. And he crushes them. And he breaks the whole building down on the Philistines. He dies, but he gets every single one of those motherfuckers. That is his will. He is such an infuriating villain to me because I want to just kill him the whole time. Like the things he says, the way he says them, the way he talks to Eliza, the way he, you know, 
touches people and he's just such a disgusting rotten piece of shit that like i i feel like viscerally angry whenever he's on screen in a way that i love because when the creature just walks the fuck up and slices his throat out it is the best catharsis in the world because you've just watched this racist fuck be a piece of shit and it just feels i i love that there's no ambiguity this is just a happy fucking ending the bad guy dies and the people get to be together yeah i fucking love that it's an important note the uh the movie is it's a fairy tale and it has no bones about it it tells you straight up the music and the opening credits and the way we come into it this is a fairy tale top to bottom it's not meant to be some uh, complex plot and it never strives to be either and that's part of one of the many things that make it before we get to our main duo our main couple i feel like richard and octavia are amazing yeah, let's talk about them. Because I mean, there's I a love lot Octavia Spencer. I feel like this is a role she fits a lot, right? A very supportive best friend kind of role. Um, and I and I would you know, like I think she's an amazingly talented actress. I would love to see her in a role that is not this, but I just I love her in this so much. Uh, she's just so endearing and funny. And you mentioned the best support system, her and and Giles, right? They are both just. Giles has some trepidation. They both have that mild trepidation. But when they're in, they're in because they love this person so much. And they're just amazing friends. And um, they both just play those characters with such uh, nuance and kindness and softness in a way that just makes... Uh, I just love the trio of them, like of Eliza and, and, and her two friends. It's just very sweet. I thought it was nice to give Giles, uh, I thought it was great to see Giles kind of having to process and get over the uh, William H. Macy and Magnolia yeah. moment he has early in the film to help Eliza and the fish Yeah, escape. like him having to realize, like, you're no better, <laughs> you know what I mean, than, than, than this man if you don't support this i guess i don't know it's weird it's it's this weird when especially when you queer that couple it's a very weird allegory for homophobia but it's uh i don't know it just it just really works for me i love god so many scenes between her and giles make me cry i love the scene when she's trying so hard to just tell him explain to him why what am i I move my mouth like him. I make no sound like him. What does that make me? All that I am, all that I've ever been, brought me here to him. See, you're saying him, it's a him now. It's a You just hit me. Eliza, let go of me. I'm looking, I'm looking. You've never hit me. When he looks at me, the way he looks at me, he doesn't know what I lack or how I am incomplete. He sees me for what I am. As I am. He's happy to see me. Every time. Every day. 
Now I can either save him or let him die. And I think right after that, right, when he refuses to help her, there's that gorgeous line when he says he's not even human and she signs back, if we do nothing, neither are we. Just really beautiful, a beautiful stance, I think, Guillermo is giving on just loving other human beings. And uh, it's just, I don't know, I just, it's just beautiful. (laughs) Sorry, I'm rambling so much. No, there you have it. (laughs) What can I Sally say? Sally Hawkins is perfect. She is an angel. She is an angel on this earth. Amazing. Just <laughs> the best. Let me tell you, she, her performance mm. in Spencer is She's mind-blowingly She's insanely talented. Good. She is so good. She was filming Paddington, I'm pretty sure, at the same time as this. Can, can you believe? She's a gift what on this a earth. Truly, really, I love her so much. And Doug Jones, the incredible Doug Jones, iconic monster creature actor i mean yeah he's like perfect in this role already well iconic for doing crazy suits in movies like this of course abe sapien and hellboy among many others and uh yeah really just brings it to the next level the physicality i mean he's just he's the best at his job for a reason he also gotta say for my buffy fans he's also the lead gentleman in the iconic buffy the vampire slayer episode hush from season four uh, as well. Yeah. He's, he's just so good. He, 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 I don't think anyone can really do what he does to the level in which he does it. Like he's just a really talented uh, creature performer. What else do you have? I don't know. I feel like what I've talked too much. I, I think it's pretty obvious that I love this movie. I took a lot of just silly notes of, you know, I, th- Oh, the, the, you know, the uh, Russian Jewish doctor whose name I can't really remember. He's a great, character who has a wonderful arc um makes me sad every time he you know gets killed it, it, it's there's there's just it's a great cat the musical number like holy shit the first time i saw that my bike i blew into the ceiling i skyrocketed off the ground because that mm-hmm. is amazing the, you know the flooding scene is great the the the, the the scene where he goes down to the movie theater and just sees the screen cinema paradiso moment <laughs> it's just gorgeous that's it's, right it's, i cried it's a gorgeous it's real. a gorgeous movie um yeah i i just the the, the heist is amazing it's well paced and it's so exciting and i've seen this before and i still didn't know how they got away i was like holy shit can we can we talk about the <laughs> yeah vibes on the sense. heist is it <laughs> no, just I me totally get it it's just it's just a great movie i think those are kind of my big uh my big things, I guess. What Do you have any final thoughts on The Shape of Water? Yeah. I mean, my definitive kind of final thought is that the movie perfectly marries Guillermo's beloved world of 50s B-movie spies, nuclear experiments, creatures from the deep, and beautiful, lyrical, uh, mystical romance in a way that is so beautiful along with a message about the other and who the other is and respecting each other and loving each other and helping out the people who support you and the people who don't. And also yes. fuck fascism. Yeah, baby. Yeah. I don't know. 
like <laughs> 10 stars yeah no i feel similarly what can i say um it was great watching this movie again it's a beautiful movie it makes me happy it it it, it is you know, I haven't seen, like, I need to see more of Guillermo del Toro's work. Based on what I know about him, this just feels like the perfect culmination of the things he loves and cares about as a director. And um, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm so glad this movie exists. It is, yeah, baby, yeah. Possibly a 4.5 because um, there was that mo- there was that feeling of the movie magic. Like, being in a theater, it didn't quite capture the same magic, but it still got me. Who gives a shit? Yeah, baby, yeah. <laughs> numbers, numbers are arbitrary. arbitrary it's true alright it's time to do our little show I love, I love gold. gold you know um, Pan's Labyrinth didn't get near the love that this film got and sometimes that makes people question its status <laughs> shut up okay. <laughs> Shape of Water was nominated for 264 Whew. awards and received wow, 93. Yes, baby. Suck my ass. Uh, in no particular order. <laughs> Suck my ass, everybody. <laughs> in, no, in no particular order. AARP's <laughs> Movies for Grown Ups Awards. It won Best Picture, Best <laughs> okay. Supporting Actor, Richard Jenkins, and Best Screenwriter AARP. went to Guillermo del Toro. Not even going to oh, start wait a minute, with the wait Academy minute, Awards. Guillermo. Guillermo got best director, but he was only nominated for best screenwriter. But I can't, I can't see that because it brings me to the AARP Wikipedia page <laughs> and we could be here all night. Academy Awards, of course, the triumphant best yes. picture, best director win. Also, of course, best original score and best production yes. design, both deserved. Uh, all sorts of other nominations. Sally Hawkins, Richard Jenkins, Octavia Spencer, Best screenplay, cinematography, costume design, film editing, uh, sound editing, sound mixing, etc. Alliance of Film of Women Film Journalists, who I believe gave us the age <laughs> discrepancy thing last time. Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins won nice. bravest performance. I mean, that makes How sense. Nice There's is a that? risk to to be the the very horny for a fish man lady. <laughs> Um, Directors Guild of Canada, uh, best production design, sound editing, film editing. At the Golden Globes, it wasn't as lucky. Guillermo won for best director and, of course, the best score, but not any of the big ones. So that's interesting. But Shape of Water itself, Sally Hawkins, Richard Jenkins, Octavia Spencer, all nominated. So at the Hugos, they were nominated for Best Dramatic Presentation. At the Whoa. IGN Awards, wow, it was nominated for Movie of the Year. So there, enjoy your <laughs> nice. game fuel. And that's I Love Gold. There's all sorts of stuff. I do want to note that this was a really packed yes. award season. Like, look at the movies that were nominated for Best Picture here. Wow. Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. It was an extremely busy year Jeez. with a lot of great movies. And even, wow, looking at that Best Director lineup. But even so. Uh, Chris, Chris Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, and PTA for Phantom Thread. Like, holy shit, a lineup that year. That's right. And then you also had I, oh, Tanya in the mix. I know. Mudbound, Molly's Don't Game, Logan. Roy Metcalf lost the Supporting Actress Award that year. I love Alison Janney and I, Tonya. I just, I just pretty... have feelings about Laurie Metcalf. 
<laughs> There's room for it. All right, moving quickly now through the Alan Parsons project, our ongoing quest to link our film to the Austin Powers series. Uh, John Houlihan in the music department. He's the music supervisor currently at 20th Century Fox. So Nightmare Alley, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Nomadland, Jojo Rabbit, Ford versus Ferrari, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Blech. No. We can do it. Uh, in the special effects department, John Rosengrant gives us, I mean, Jurassic World and Jurassic Park 3 were produced by Steven Spielberg. But what if I told you that he gives us Real Steel, the Hugh Jackman oh robot God. boxing movie? Yeah. Um, also from the effects department, Lindsay McGowan gives oh, us yes. Big Fish. I love that movie. Many, many of the <laughs> MCU films. So Much to something think to think about. about down the road and the Stan Winston studio. Oh, she's from Stan Winston studio. So Congo, of course the monster squad predator, I mean, you know, awesome. babe, all sorts of stuff. So they're all on the wheel. Now I understand that there's some, there you are, are you're over, over there. there. We have a voicemail that I do not want to open, but I am going to open it because it is from a dear friend though. I know I disagree with all of oh, his no. opinions on this. Here we go. No love can ever exist in the world. He also questioned Bob Lerman <laughs> being the There's best. no room for that here on ADP. I'll tell you that. Shape, Shape of, of boring. boring is the name of this email I, I, from our dear friend Ty, who is going to possibly do the Randy Roundtable, which is full of randiness in this week's movie. This is... This might be the horniest uh, movie I, we've know, done to date. Bef- I knew he was going to do that. And I was like, wait until you see. I All right, wait, Ty, so. what do you got to say? Break my heart. I cried. I want to remind you. Okay, here we go. Do I make you horny, baby? It's true. Do I? Do I make you randy? What's up, ADP? Uh, this is Ty. I'm back to discuss another Randy Roundtable. And is this the most obvious movie for this spot? I mean, it's clearly yes. she got it on with a fish man. I mean, you got to be pretty, it's true. you know, into it to get with the fish man. Um, she was into it. I, I don't know. This this movie, Shape of Water, I have a lot of unresolved issues with this movie, <laughs> mostly because it stole, completely stole the Oscar away from Lady Bird. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This is 2017. What a magical year for film. Um, weirdly, maybe the horniest movie for film. I mean, you got this uh, Sally Hawkins gets it on with a uh, fish man. Uh, Timothy Chalamet gets it on with a peach. Um, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis's aphrodisiac of choice is poison mushrooms. Um, I don't know. But yeah. Um, Great. That's right. This is That's very right. obvious. Y'all knew it was coming. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, yeah. Can't wait to hear y'all just hype this movie up because <laughs> I don't know. I don't see it. It's super boring. Give me Pacific Rim or literally anything else other than this scaremo love y'all bye <laughs> jaws dropped you know uh respect the truth thank you for your call and uh <laughs> i mean yeah i get it you know either you fall into it or you don't for sure uh, it's a spell you have open so. minds open hearts okay Open mind. Looking forward to the Randy Roundtable. I hope Mackenzie gets Star Trek: <laughs> The Motion Picture next week. I want to get something so horny week. that like it explodes uh, the podcast. 
I want. So what I'm trying to do is the actually Charlie's Angels. It is pretty. What could explode anyway. the the Randy Roundtable? I'm just saying. And we have another voicemail from Corey, who uh, said could not resist with this one. So let's see what Corey has to say. Hey, Kevin. Dear hey, friend Kenzie. of the show. Uh, I am absolutely over the moon that both of you are covering The Shape of Water. I saw this. This is what I want to hear, uh, baby. The height of movie pass. I went in with my movie pass yes! to go see it. And I was just absolutely enchanted by this movie when I first saw it. I left that and I straight up said, this is up there with two of my favorite movies of all time, both directed by Guillermo del Toro, <laughs> that being Pan's Labyrinth and the action masterpiece Blade Two. Uh, Whoa! Just, yes. I go back to the word enchanting because that's really the word that comes to mind when I think about this movie. It, it's just, it's got this endearing quality to it that del toro manages to put in so many of his movies regardless of the tone uh there's there's something endearing about all there's something endearing about blade 2 you know <laughs> um when this when this movie won the oscar i i jumped out of my seat I, I just hollering this was the guy who on the press tour for pacific rim in japan straight up was brought to tears at the sight of the one-to-one scale Gundam statue. I felt like someone on my That's team right. won, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just everything about this movie makes me smile. My my one gripe, my, my one teeny tiny gripe with this movie is that, yeah. and as much as I love the score for it, it's a beautiful score, it beat out the score for Phantom Thread. Oh, okay. Uh, that was composed by <laughs> I knew John it. Greenwood of Radiohead, continuing his streak of not winning <laughs> an Oscar for an incredible score. Uh, Phantom Thread being one of my favorites of all time. But regardless, this is one of the all timers, another feather in the cap of just a rock solid filmography. For Guillermo del Toro, I just I love this movie so much. All right, and that was Corey. Thank Cuts you. Off there, thank you, Corey. And yeah, hell yeah. You know that was the same press tour that uh, keen keen listeners to keen listeners will remember that Guillermo del Toro also saw Alien Baltan, the uh, arch nemesis of Ultraman, on that tour. And gave him a great big hug and said, let me take you home to Los Angeles. And he would have brought Baltan right yeah, to Bleak House. Yeah, I think definitely has the feeling of, much like Troy Kotzer, right, this last year, of like, you want to see this person win because they are so joyous and lovely. You're like, I just want to see this person have an Oscar because I want to see this person walk the stage. And um, yeah, I love Guillermo. Thank you for the voicemail, Corey. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. It's the way I felt two years later. Not to H flex here, but uh, a couple years later, I was at the New York Film Critics Circle and mm-hmm. I saw the way that Bong Joon Ho had uh, risen to his feet like a child at uh, when Joe <laughs> Pesci was being honored God. for the Irishman. And it like, man, that's I was like, that man is going to get Best Picture. And it was and amazing. Three it weeks was later, one of the best moments the Oscars have ever had. Yeah. 
Right. And then and then six oh, weeks oh, oh, later. Oh. Um, but anyway. if you have any anyway. thoughts on the next movie we're picking, which we're doing very soon, uh, you can send them to austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. And thank you all for sending your voicemails. They make us so happy. Yeah, we love when you talk to us. Don't be scared. We're all friends. We're here for your truths, even if, like Ty, you are wildly <laughs> incorrect. Ugh, my hand is on just the kidding, wheel. Just kidding, just kidding. Should I spin? Are you oh, ready? Oh my god. I'm never, Let's I'm never go. ready when it's you. I'm barely <laughs> ready when it's me. Drum roll. Okay. <laughs> A weird departure from where we're at, but maybe not so much. Oh, I have not seen this movie since my mom watched it when I was like 10. In 2006, Brian De Palma had his take on the real life unsolved tragedy of Elizabeth Short's murder, also known as The Black Dahlia. This 2006 neo-noir crime thriller stars Josh Hartnett, Scarlett Johansson, Hilary Swank, and Aaron Eckhart as uh, the detectives attempting to solve the murder of the Black Dahlia and the women who intersect in their lives. I just read Hmm. one of the novels by James Elroy. I think it was the Black Dahlia. That's so wild. I remember watching this with my mom and being deeply fascinated by it like genuinely thinking the ending scene was really cool mind you i was 11 i do not know if how i'm gonna feel that's the exciting adventure we get to go on uh but i remember thinking it was really cool and there's like shots like that are still in my head from from that formative age i watched this random movie i that's, didn't that's interesting i've heard this movie is hey, not 11 year old me 11-year-old me, never seen it. I did not realize De Palma uh, directed it. That's the one thing that's blowing my mind a bit now yeah, that I'm an weird, adult who right? watches more movies. <laughs> like, that's the part that's kind of crazy. Yeah. But the book is popular. I mean, I have, you know, it came in a, a set with his other I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a really books, fascinating so. case, right? Like, I, I, me and my partner got really into BuzzFeed Unsolved <laughs> things for a while. Like, true crime stuff is really <laughs> fascinating. It is It is scary and also interesting to me that this has never been solved and i think it is interesting when films and even video games i played ellie noir and i love that you know attempt yes that that mission thread ellie noir it's interesting to me when people try to offer a solution right offer a i know that there are some popular theories out there and i believe maybe we'll get into it more this movie picks up on one of the popular theories of who the killer was um but yeah Mm. it's uh i i also do think that this is theoretically a very hated film. Let me see. Ooh, a 2.6 average on Letterboxd. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is not a liked film. Even as a kid, 14 years old, I as knew far that as this I movie see, was hated. Uh, it is not available to stream anywhere, but it is available to rent on all major platforms. My God. What a, what a, what a shift. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this, Elroy's novel is way more about the characters mm-hmm. attempting to solve it than it is about the That is the what crime, the movie is as well. Frankly. I won't spoil it for you, but it is so, about this detective and his partner attempting to to yeah. figure it out. And we get some flashbacks, I believe, to the Black Dahlia, uh, Elizabeth Short is played by Mia Kirshner, who, um, you know, 
I only know her from the L word. So my fellow lesbians, if you're out there, you may know her as Jenny Schechter. Uh, but that is the only thing I know Mia Kirshner for. Oh, she was in uh, Not Another Teen Movie, delivering the greatest line in cinematic history is, I just want a guy to take a dump on my chest. Uh, which is, I mean, you got to respect <laughs> the, how funny that line is. Um, so those are the two things I know Mia Kirshner from. Katie Lang has Love an that. Cameo. I'm seeing that William Finley is in it. William Finley, who hey. plays uh, the lead in de palma's phantom of the paradise one of the best movies ever made uh you know what i i realized the other day um mm. I, this is a stunning revelation for years i thought <laughs> i had seen phantom of the paradise and i actually uh, bought the shot factory blu-ray under the impression that i had already seen it untrue i have never seen phantom of the paradise hey uh, uh kevin dunn the great character actor the dad from small soldiers returns Ooh, to awesome yeah. danger podcast I love it. How do you like that? When will he return for Transformers? Man, am I? Oh man, you were gonna, you were gonna tepidly <laughs> like that movie. Let me tell you. All right, so that's next week. Um, do you want to uh-huh. watch the Black Dahlia? Do you want us to tell you about it? If you've seen it, <laughs> what did you think of it? No pressure. We're all friends here. Hey, if you love it, we especially want to hear from you because it has a 2.6 on Letterboxd. Let me, let me ask you, how many logs are on Letterboxd right now? You can see it's the green under the, uh, the poster. That's actually mm-hmm. not bad. That's better Top than reviews a four and a half star review. You. This person stands alone. I respect them for that. <laughs> well, if you're like that person on Letterboxd, AustinNagerPodcast at gmail.com. Please type something. Uh, send us a voice memo. We want to hear from you. But the wheel is going back into its cavern, and it is time to end Austin Danger Podcast. From Mackenzie, this is Kev. Austin Danger Podcast, peace! If I told you about her, what would I say? That they lived happily ever after? I believe they did. That they were in love? That they remained in love? I'm sure that's true. But when I think of her, of Eliza, the only thing that comes to mind is a poem whispered by someone in love hundreds of years ago, unable to perceive the shape of you. I find you all around me. Your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart, for you are everywhere.